Missouri lawmakers were back in Jefferson City to debate legislation aimed at helping the boot heel. But Representative Tracy McCreary was an early critic of the idea of giving potential companies a lower electrical rate. The Olivet Democrat joins us on another edition of Politically Speaking to break down the special session. So let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Reitens, Navy <laughs> SEALs running for governor, and I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe. I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. And welcome to Politically Speaking, the longest running episodic podcast about Missouri politics. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in St. Louis is, Public Radio studio it, is. Is colleague Joe Manis, who also is pleased with, with that honor. Yes. I'm glad we. I mean, it's true. We've been around since 2012. And some, sometimes we just well, need to actually, stake our flag down. Well, that's, <laughs> that's true. That's true. And actually, actually, even earlier before, I mean, that was about the time we started doing guests and stuff. Yeah. 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 So we're, we're the old fogies of yes. the Missouri podcast community. <laughs> wow. You were cool before anyone else knew podcasts were cool. Yeah. Well, and that voice, by the way, is our special guest today we have in studio. Hi, uh, State Representative Tracy McCreary, representing the 88th District in St. Louis County. Okay. Explain roughly where that is. All right. I live in Olivet, and my district goes west from there all the way out past Woods Mill Road in St. Louis County. So northern boundary is Olive Boulevard. Southern boundary is generally Highway 40 slash 64. And welcome back to the show. um, Amazingly, time flies so quickly. This is the first time you've been on since, I think, early 2015. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It seems like it was just yesterday. Yeah. Hmm. And just so our listeners know, you got your start working for the legendary. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Joan Bray. She's a legend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A a retired state senator, actually former reporter. Joan and I go way back. Way, way back. And, and I go b- way back with the former senator, too. She actually talked a lot with me when I was a reporter with the Columbia Missourian, oh, wow. let alone the Columbia Tribune. And okay. I always appreciated that. Um, you know, not not everybody talks to the student reporters, and sometimes the student reporters become professional reporters mm-hmm. that bother you for a living. Well, the reason <laughs> I mention that in part is this sort of kind of weaves into what we're going to talk about, because one of the major things is utilities. Utilities. Yes. Were, when listeners hear this, the first of what may be a series of special <laughs> sessions <laughs> the next few months mm-hmm. is over. It was all about utilities. Bray had made her, that was one of her keynote things was utility standing up for the consumer for yeah. those that pay bills and you sort of ended up inherited that role I in the did. house lately so reluctantly we'll but yeah. it, it's part of my dna at this point now i just want to make clear for our listeners we're recording this at 10:20 a.m. on friday the special session is still going on but it's not out of the question that the special session could be over by the time this podcast is posted so i just want to make that very clear and what the special session is about roughly is debating legislation that would allow certain companies to get lower electrical rates in the boot heel and and more than the boot heel now right. because it's been I'm expanded. Sorry. I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you caught yourself on that. The bill as it started out was um, about third 
third class counties and businesses that were aluminum or steel. But as the bill was amended on the House floor on Wednesday afternoon by Representative Jay Barnes from Cole County, it's now open to any industry in any part of the state. So it's pretty expansive. Very expansive. Yeah, yeah, because that was one thing I was wondering from the get-go. I mean, just so our listeners know, this issue first came up during the regular session. It got the spotlight during the last week in the House when um, State Rep uh, Don Roan gave this very passionate, very moving speech about how Southeast Missouri and his district were suffering so much since the Naranda smelt, aluminum smelting plant had closed down about 15 months ago. Mm-hmm. Now, Naranda had been the largest non-agricultural employer in southeast Missouri for decades. I'd actually written a lot about them several years ago. And so he was trying to put some an amendment on at the last minute. The House, it came overwhelmingly, but then it died in the Senate along with some and, other stuff. And I want to just make something clear. Our guest here was one of two people that yes. voted against that amendment. And that was, that was a, a tough vote for me because of the visuals of that. It made, I, at the time, I felt like people were going to think that I didn't have compassion for those that were unemployed. But the thing is, is when the representative was giving his very passionate, emotional speech, I actually looked at the amendment and realized that it was about not just creating jobs in the boot heel, but that it had this Senate Bill 190 light on it, which I consider, um, you know, a a giveaway to these investor-owned utilities. And explain what that is, too. Explain that. Well, Senate Bill 190, um, this past session, was um, there were several pro-consumer senators that had a problem with it because it basically would take away power from the Public Service Commission and make it a lot easier for investor-owned utilities like Ameren, Empire, and Kansas City Power and Light to to raise rates and and make more money faster. And, you know, a lot of pro-consumer folks like myself had a problem with that. And when Don was emotionally speaking about, my folks are so poor, um, when I looked at the bill, there was it it was a Trojan horse kind of amendment that was being snuck on. Now I want to make this really, really clear because I'm going to make this point again. Both Senator uh, Doug Leibla and Gary Romine, and to some extent Rob Schaff, were harshly criticized for, quote, blocking mm-hmm. what Rome was proposing, when in actuality, they were opposed to what you just talked exactly. about. Yes. And Don Rohn's amendment dealing with job creation or special rates for aluminum or steel plants was never, ever discussed until the last couple weeks of session. It was never a standalone bill. It was kept secret from us until the last minute. So I want to play a clip now that is actually from Eric Greitens, the governor of Missouri's Twitter account. And it talks about, he is basically talking about how obstructionist people like Doug Leibla and Gary Romine are on this issue. Once we play the clip, we are going to explain some context of what happened after he made those remarks. Was we had some career politicians who decided that they wanted to put their personal, pitiful, petty, political privileges ahead of jobs for the people. They figured that they were just gonna run out the clock the legislative session was going to end, and then what they figured was, well, after that, they figured they'd just go home. They figured they'd run out the clock, and they'd go on their vacations. They figured they'd run out the clock, and that we would forget. Well, you know what? They figured wrong. Okay, so that was a speech that the governor made before the special session started. At a rally. At a rally in in the former Naranda plant. 
I want to make this well, point. Well, at the very yeah, least, yeah, he me. was doing a, a political rally off-site because there was also a political rally on the on the Capitol grounds. Right, and he, he says very similar things afterwards. So, again, I want to make this point as blunt and as clear as I possibly can, okay? The things that the governor was criticizing both Romine and Libla for were taken out of the bill exactly. in House committee. So I, if, if the governor goes out and after this bill passes and says, you know, I rolled over these politicians, oh. it's the opposite. It's the Libla opposite. Libla and Romine got exactly what they wanted. The yeah. winners of the week were Senators Romine and Senators Libla. They got exactly what they wanted, which is job creation, and they got the bad anti-consumer language off of that bill. Yeah, let me explain a little bit. I mean, the governor first, um, unless I missed something, um, and it wasn't like I was in Jeff City the whole time, but I was definitely there that every day that last week uh, from morning till night. Um, the governor's office was not active on this. He never, he, it wasn't like he gave a statement or, he, or came out and said, hey, this Roan uh, amendment that he proposed, uh, the, he, 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 he said nothing till it was over. Right. Now, but, and, and Roan, during his passionate speech, referred to Senator Libla as King Libla at one point, was really ripping him mm -hmm. because he said he was opposed to this. What Now, what he was opposed to was the part that we just discussed as far as making it easier for utilities to raise rates without going through the PSC. I talked to Libla last week when um, it became clear that he was a target of the governor's nonprofit group called A New Missouri, uh, which can collect unlimited amounts from unknown donors and had started um, running, uh, doing, they were doing some Twitter ads and then they were doing a robocalls in Southeast Missouri. They actually, one of them went to Libel's house. His wife picked up the phone. Nice. And so he called me and said it was the governor's voice on there. And uh, he was, disturbed about it because Libla has only been in the General Assembly five years and he and his brother are former business people and said that yeah. they had created a number of jobs. So he was taking right. a I want to set this up because this is not what, as Jason said, it's not what, I'm not taking sides on this. Neither am I. But, but I, the facts are the facts. And I just want, and the reason I'm, I'm hammering people over the head with this is I just have to wonder, what was the point of this campaign against Doug Libla if they if if the house was just going to do what he wanted i don't understand it they were hoping that they could sneak the the don roan amendment dealing with job creation was the trojan horse what they really wanted and what the donors really wanted was the, the the second part of that bill that was stripped off early on so that's what they really wanted this was never and i mean we we cut this program really short, you know, because basically what the House passed over to the Senate on Wednesday afternoon, the PSC can already do. The Public Service Commission can already, any large company can already petition the Public Service Commission for a special rate. We did not need to do anything in that bill we did this week. Nothing. And the speaker said that I was wrong on Wednesday night when I spoke against the emergency clause for the bill. But I have since verified with the Public Service Commission I was right, even if a company is not located in the Ameren footprint. So this steel plant that they're talking about would be in New Madrid, the city limits. And they have municipal utility electricity. So although the steel plant's not in Ameren's footprint, they can still, right now, without this bill going into effect, petition Ameren for a special rate. Now, so why did we have the I think Representative Roan said that since these are potential 
companies that's why it was needed no nope, that's wrong to too that? that's yeah. wrong too yeah. there are there's there are cases that you can find on the public service commission's website that go back and you do not have to have a usage history with Ameren or with any other utility company in the state to get a special rate so that's that's wrong now without um lobbying for or against the spill or anything the way it is now though of course as you mentioned they didn't need it right necessarily but the bottom line is it's still um puts a spotlight on this provision. So couldn't you have major users like Boeing or other um, major uh, companies um, who may or may not get a special rate now uh, go in and ask for a special rate if they find, you know, because they're kind of like, well, if that company is getting a special rate, why aren't we? Good point. And, you know, I I would wonder, I wonder why we think that it's okay, that it's up to the Missouri legislature to pick industries that are winners or losers, or in this case now, the Public Service Commission deciding who does or does not get a special rate. I I don't think that's our job. Now, also, I mean, as Libla was contending, he said his concern was that while he was going to be for this, this part without the extra provisions Mm -hmm. was that there is concern about rates going up for exactly. either small business or individuals. Well, and uh, the large users, their, their bills go up, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars right. per month. And, That's what's frustrating. And I think that in the Senate committee yesterday, there's a possibility for average consumers that could go, the bill could go up four or five dollars a right. month, which on its face doesn't seem like a lot, but if you're that's low income, that's $60 a year. That's like $60 a year. And this, the way the bill was written is it would lock in that special rate for 10 years. So you figure five fifty a month, Times 12 months, times 10 years, that's for the average family, the res- average residential user, that's $600. That's a lot of money. So basically, I'm getting a sense from your from your answers to this. You're not really happy this special session happened, and you're not happy with the outcome of this bill. Is that and, fair and to say? And just to get a little more philosophical on this, what the, the discussion we need to be having in the Missouri legislature is – do we think that it's right to do economic development on the backs of utility bills, basically? So, so, and if we do, we do, but we need to be honest about what we're doing. So right now we're doing economic development, and if it happens to be the special rate is from Ameren, then it's just the Ameren customers that are paying this economic development fee. Maybe if a plant is built over in Kansas City, and it's part of the state's job creation plan, the state's economic development plan, then it's just the customers of Kansas City Power and Light that will be paying for this economic development fee. And I, I would like to see a, a line on my Ameren bill that says like economic development fee. If we're gonna if that if people are gonna campaign and run as elected officials who will not raise taxes, but yet we're raising people's utility bills, then I think we need to be honest about what we're doing. Just to play devil's advocate, Mm -hmm. you know, if this bill does spur a steel company to set up shop and the Naranda plant to reopen, is this a case of the ends justifying the means? And that could be beneficial to the, the boot heel? It, it will be beneficial to the boot heel, but ironically, the, all the folks that live in people and businesses in New Madrid, the city of New Madrid, and the city of Sykeston, two of the biggest communities that would benefit from this job creation, none of those folks will have any increase on their electric bill because they are customers of municipal utilities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, and if it's something, I truly do think job creation in the boot heel helps the entire state, but then the whole state should be paying for it. It should be more socialized. Mm-hmm. When the Department of Economic Development, a state department, gives a grant or gives a special favor to a business, all the taxpayers help pay for it because we're all paying taxes, income taxes, to the state. And so the cost is socialized amongst more people. Right now, if you're given a special rate to a company 
from an Ameren, Ameren's given a special rate to a company, then it's just Ameren customers making up the difference. So um, as you look at this now, um, with all of us agreeing that Libel and Romine were, were probably the winners of the of the special session. For sure. And both of them are state senators. In, I mean, Libel is in his second term. So is, so so is, is Romine. Yeah. So my point being is that campaigning against them when they're not going to be facing voters again, um, does it... I'm curious about the climate. Are some of these Republican lawmakers, especially in the Senate, um, ticked off enough about these attacks that the governor and his and his um, nonprofit were doing against him that it might affect things going forward, at least through the next session oh. or two? I was curious about that because I thought, what can he do to Libla? I mean, you know. Right. I or mean, what could he have done to Rob Schaff? I mean, and, I made right, that point, too. Right. I'm not, and again, I'm not trying to say, like, a new what a new Missouri is doing is right or wrong. That's for people to decide. But yeah. from a factual standpoint, right. when you attack people who are term limited and can't run for anything anymore, there's less leverage for you to get what you want. I think that's what Joe is basically yeah, right. getting. And, and, right. we, and yesterday I was listening to the Senate debate online. And they're all online. from the same party. That's yeah, the- all, all, all Republicans, all from the same party. Um, yesterday, Senator Schaff, Dr. Schaff, just ripped into Governor Greitens over and over and over in his little mini filibuster on the Senate floor yesterday talking about this dark money. I mean, it, it's a huge problem. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, you know, these senators are on the right side of things. People, everybody pays utility bills. No one wants to pay any more than possible. So I feel like um, Senators Libel and Romine are champions of consumers and, and looking out for people's bills. And, you know, whether we're not increasing taxes to pay for this, but we are, we could be increasing people's utility bills. And most people, they don't care whether they're writing the check to the Missouri Department of Revenue to pay taxes or they're writing the check to Ameren. When you're taking money out of people's pockets, it's costing people. ask a more uh, general question about the session and also kind of touching on the point we just made. You're, you're a former staffer. Um, you probably have a lot more institutional in the memory than a lot of your colleagues. Yeah, and I worked on Bob Holden's uh, administration in 2001 as I, well. I, I'm, I'm wondering, like, what the climate was in the legislature this year with the new governor. And, you know, I want to bring in the question we always ask about term limits, about whether that's affecting things. Because I've also heard from people that because a lot of senators are term limited, they're willing to be more, I guess, throw caution to the wind and filibuster things. And that kind of affects the flow of, of legislation. So it's kind of a two-part question, your observations on the Senate and your thoughts about uh, whether term limits is affecting it at this point. Well, that's kind of a, a loaded question. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started working in the, the state capitol before term limits mm-hmm. really had kicked in. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've noticed is um, just a lo- less teamwork and less respect for colleagues, um, both in, in, in your own party but across the aisle as well. And I think part of that is when you start a new job anywhere um, – you're motivated to get to know people that you work with because you're like, you know what, this is a great company. I want to work here for a while. I want to be happy at work. And you're motivated to find out like about their family and what their hobbies are and things like that. With term limits, there's actually absolutely no motivation really to ever get to know people. Mm-hmm. And so I think that makes for these um, you know, unhealthy exchanges that we have and such. The other thing I've noticed too is like 
you know, Joe mentioned earlier, Senator Bray was always kind of an expert on utilities. We, we no longer really have people within the the chambers that are experts on anything because no one has enough time to become an expert on anything. You know, we have term limits of eight years in the House, eight years in the Senate. That's not enough. And we're, we're a part-time legislature. You know, we're citizen legislators. It's not enough time to become an expert, especially on something complex. Mm-hmm. And now, but one of the, but even so, you have some people, I'm thinking Jay Barnes here, who's mm-hmm. a lawyer from the Columbia area, who who did display some expertise on various bills, although they were often derided on the floor. It was interesting to me, their own party mm-hmm. was deriding them for being too knowledgeable. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it's I thought that was fascinating to be because Shamed Dogan, who is mm-hmm. a Republican state rep from West County, ran into the same thing on a, there was a couple of bills in mm-hmm. particular, which I won't go into the details, but I was in. It interested me the dynamics that you had fellow Republicans who were jumping on these guys, saying that they were, mm-hmm. in effect, elitists because they were both, you know, both lawyers and stuff. And yeah. They had well, Shamed Dog is not a lawyer. But, no, but but, but he, he knew legal yeah, stuff. But I continue. Mean, in, in this right. Well, I thing. I would say people like Representative Barnes, Representative Dogan, uh, Representative Paul Kurtman, for example, yeah. all Republicans. Um, they are very, very smart, articulate, passionate gentlemen. And they are not afraid to, to speak up for what is right. And sometimes that means your own party is against you, you know, and that's what makes these issues so fascinating to me is, you know, like you look at the vote counts and sometimes it's, you know, eight Dems and eight Republicans voting against something. And it's just such an eclectic mix of folks. Yeah. But again, kind of going back to the term limits thing, like Jay Barnes is going to be leaving the right. House because of term right. limits. Yes, huge Paul, loss. Paul, Paul Kurtman leaving the House mm-hmm. due to term limits. And both of them are pretty young. I don't even think either one of them are 40 years no, old yet. No, so. they're not. And both of them have kind of been able to get in positions where they're chairing committees, where they become experts on things. And then they're gone. Mm-hmm. I don't know what either one of them is going to do next, but it kind of is that brain drain that we've been talking about right. a little bit. It's a huge brain drain, and it just gives so much more power to the lobbyists in the building and also the the staffers who obviously are not elected. And as a former staffer myself, I always felt pretty powerful anyway. Partially, Senator Bray empowered her staff to to speak up and, and take the lead on things. But, yeah, it's definitely – there's a power shift in the building. I mean, well, it's been going on for a while. But, I mean, one of the things that when I'm in Jeff City, especially if I'm watching the debate like I was last week, I would um, – run out of the press gallery luckily especially if our beloved intern chrissy shout out to chrissy <laughs> was there you know monitoring the recording because i had to record everything to go down to the third floor where all the lobbyists were mm-hmm. and then you're basically going around saying what the hell's going on or what's next right or what's the order and the thing is i had one lobbyist who told me something like like explained about the that the chapelle nadal filibuster in the senate which had mm-hmm. not happened yet he said, well, if the House doesn't pass this, mm-hmm. then she's going to do that. Right. And then this is going to go and this is going to go. But if the House passes this, then she won't do that. And this will pass in this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I go back up. Right. And within 20 minutes, <laughs> right. the whole play starts mm-hmm. yeah. unfolding. I got to ask, 
Was that bill killed by Democrats on purpose so she would filibuster and kill no. other things in the Senate? No, or no, was no. it deeper than that? I think it was deeper because yeah, people was... didn't like the bill. Well, but... and I unfortunately voted no only because I think it's dangerous public policy to sell a state park to pay for a problem that the federal government That was one made. reason why people it, voted oh, against gosh, it. Oh, gosh, yeah. No, I, I would love to see. I think uh, Senator Chappelle Nadal is on the right side of this. But mm. I just I was worried, like, you know, since we're in tight budget times, mm-hmm. like if, if we had done that, sold a state state park to do a buyout when it's the Fed's job to do the buyout because the pollution was from a war that the government started. I was worried that next year we might sell another park to pay for the circuit breaker program. I just don't want to start down that slope of selling off parkland to pay for, for things. Well, continuing on kind of the review of the past session, you know, as I kind of mentioned before uh, we get went on the air, House Democrats are in a tough position. There are not a lot of them, but I, I kind of noticed they made their impact probably more than a lot of people expected. They were able to get amendments on a lot of bills. The last minute bill to make sure the in-home and nursing home mm-hmm. care didn't go away. I think that was pretty much engineered by mainly House Democrats and some yeah, Senate and Democrats. I would say Deb Lavender. Deb but, Lavender uh, as well. You know, an unsung hero and all that. She's a pit bull. <laughs> it, it seems like actually, despite like really long odds, the House Democrats came out much better than people expected this session. Right. Is that a fair observation or am I being too generous No, here? it's fair, and I appreciate you saying that because we're certainly outnumbered. Of the 163 certainly. members, <laughs> only there's only 46 Dems. I'm, I mean, 10 years ago, you would have never imagined that the mm-hmm. House Dems would be such a tiny block. Right, right, but, exactly. But no, I think um, I think we are are more powerful than we realize, and maybe we realized it towards the end. But it's also a team effort, you know, like, when when groups like the AARP are having real life senior citizens call their legislators to talk about the impact of cuts and that kind of thing, I mean it's a team effort. And um, but you know we both both parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, there were about forty new legislators that came in this year, and it is a sharp class on both sides of the aisle. I mean there, I am hopeful that the next eight years, if we can keep these folks around, that we're going to have a much more elevated debate because it was a really smart freshman class. And I've gotten to know a lot of people from both sides of the aisle it is a really impressive oh class. yeah yeah and interestingly they the, that 40 that group the freshman caucus if you will made up of both republicans and democrats although i don't think they had a formal caucus i noticed them working together on a lot of things throughout the session they were a powerful group and you might see that next year because i think there's going to be another wave of term limited house members and okay. I, I i just think that you know as time passes and you get new people in there a lot of um, ideolo- ideologies and proclivities that older members had. And by older, I mean people who were elected longer ago. Mm-hmm. Kind of fade away because new ideas are coming to the forefront. So I don't know how that's going to affect things because there are some issues where Republicans and Democrats were, it was party line right. mainly, primarily. And you're not going to be able to fight back. But from there that. was other ones, and this special session exemplified that where it's arguably more rural-urban, I mean, or other splits, so that you had, you know, in this case, you had Democrats and Republicans for the bill and Democrats and Republicans against the bill, mm-hmm. you know, for because of different philosophical stuff. Now, looking at the Democrats, I mean, okay, the Democrats have been saying for years since they sort of collapsed um, that after, I, I would say, 2010 on, that they were going to reorganize, re, re, regroup, reboot, have these big successes. While they managed to hold on until this last November election on the statewide level, 
um, the legislative level, they have not been successful. Well, uh, we, I, I'm just interested. We didn't lose anything, considering how bad Democrats did across the country. The Missouri House did not. We did not lose right. any seats. So and, I consider that a win. And I also want to point out that. Um, potentially vulnerable Democrats like Deb Lavender actually won by more this time because probably Webster was one of the rare places in Missouri where Donald Trump was a bad thing for candidates, I would think. Well, yeah. actually Webster, I meant Kirkwood. Kirkwood. She's Kirkwood, about but uh, Sarah Unsicker, same, same thing, thing, you know, in Webster. So what I noticed when I looked at the numbers after the November election is for, for those Democrats in kind of like the inner ring suburbs, um, Trump did not perform very well, which no. helped the Democrat candidates for state rep. Yeah. So. Because it's interesting, because let me tell you, because I've lived in Webster uh, 30 years, is that when I came to Webster, it was a Republican mm-hmm. uh, who was a state legislator, and the same in Kirkwood. Mm-hmm. And, and Webster and Kirkwood are examples of places that had been, let's say, moderate, mm-hmm. you know, Republicans who had held the seats for hundreds of years, um, and then all of a sudden... Now it's Democrats, and I've had some Republicans tell me that while Kirkwood, it depends, you know, they figure Webster's gone. You know what I mean? That well, that's going to be Democratic. though, is you're absolutely right, but it wasn't that long ago that Webster was uh, represented for long times by Republican women that were pro-choice, right? too. Well, I mean, well, and I, you know, I mean, it's amazing. I, like, you know, that seems like... full was, disclosure, I know them because they go to my church. Yeah. So anyway. Well, and I know them because I used to door knock for them because I'm kind of an independent kind of person and actually love those So, ladies. but my question mm-hmm. is, um, is, okay, what do the Democrats do now? I mean, they're, you know, saying people are energized, but frankly, if you look nationally, we're talking the morning after another loss in Montana uh, for Congress which may not have been likely anyway. Right. But my point being is, while you know Democrats say their base is energized, are you going to be able to keep your base energized if you don't start we winning? We and will. on a Missouri level, what do you do to sort of kick things up? Well, we have a great head of the Democratic Party now, Representative Stephen Weber, smart young lawyer. Former rep, yeah. Former rep, I'm sorry, yeah, um, who's all, all over the state. We're doing candidate recruitment. We're doing candidate training. Uh, Senator Jill Shoup just did a training for potential new candidates and campaign volunteers that had over 300 folks attend. So we're, we're doing everything we need to do, um, and, and we are going to have high-quality candidates. Well, and, are you going to have rural candidates? We will. We will. We're working on that. Yep. I, I do want to ask this because... Because there's an initiative petition floating around that does a bunch of different things, like ban lobbyist gifts and make some tweaks to campaign donation limits called Clean Missouri. I'm Mm -hmm. sure you've heard of it. The main thing to me is it changes the state legislative redistricting process pretty dramatically. For our listeners, and I won't bore people with the details, but right now state legislative districts are – ostensibly drawn by commissions that are split evenly between the Republican and Democratic parties, but in reality – Three times out of four, the courts draw them because it deadlocks and it's kind of a crapshoot. This in, this initiative would basically give most of the power to a nonpartisan demographer that would be chosen through a process. And I read through the details of that, and hypothetically, it could make districts more favorable to the Democrats. But in my mind, if the Democrats are getting 20 percent in the outstate counties, you can draw the lines anywhere you mm-hmm. want. You all are still going to be in the super minority, regardless of how the process goes. I'm interested in your take on that, because I think that initiative is going to have real money and organization behind it. Oh, yeah. And and I think long term, it's the right thing to do. Um, When you have, if the legislature was made up of more 
elected officials that were kind of middle of the road of both parties, you know, more moderate Republicans, more moderate Democrats, I think we'd end up with much better legislation. You know, right now, really, these districts are so gerrymandered that you have to be the most extreme in your party to win the primary. And then you end up with the two extremes, the extreme right and the extreme left running against each other in a general. And it doesn't give the voters the best choice. Not to be nitpicky here, but are they really gerrymandered if the judges are drawing them? Well, I mean, gerrymandering to me is there's an there is a purposeful intent to make the districts one way for a party or another. I'm not really sure the House districts, for example, were were purposely well, drawn to be Republican. They still took those, the, the, the courts still took those lines, though, and tweaked them. So this jumping off point for the courts, I think, started out as gerrymandered. And, and just so our listeners know, the legislature does draw the lines for congressional, for congressional mm-hmm. districts. And there is no and question they're gerrymandered. Those were ge- oh. gerrymandered, but they did withstand two different court challenges that I don't, covered. I don't even think the Republicans that drew those congressional districts would uh, dispute that they're gerrymandered. Oh, no. We've had them on the show a couple years <laughs> mm-hmm. ago, and they were very upfront about you it. You know, that's an interesting jumping-off <laughs> point to my next question. Um, I noticed that the DCCC is targeting the 2nd Congressional District. Mm-hmm. I put out a tweet that's saying there needs to be a Democratic candidate, whether it be Jill Shoup, Scott Sifton, or yourself, potentially. I, I'm just going to ask straight out, is that something you're interested in doing of running for Congress next well, year? Well, you will be uh, probably sad to know, since you called me an up-and-comer or something very kind. Thank you, by the way. Um, I actually don't reside in uh, the 2nd Congressional District. I was part of that Correct. gerrymandered 1st yeah, Congressional District. I did district. not know So that. in order to make first. Congressman Clay's district more Democratic, they swooped in all the Olivet Democrats. So um, when I first moved to Olivet, I was in Congressional District, and I would have been I mean, in Anne You Anne could Wag- still hypothetically oh, run for it. Yes, I'm, I'm not interested. I'm, um, I've, I, I like the Missouri legislature. But there, would you think think, okay, I think that the second district is going to be an uphill climb even in a wave election because St. Charles and Jeff Coe are trending more Republican. But that district does have some pretty Democratic parts of St. Louis County to it. So if Trump is at like 12 percent approval rating and everybody's losing, a Democrat could be competitive there. But it has to be the right right Mm -hmm. person. And that was why I thought Senator Shoup Mm -hmm. is on the top of that list, because she ran a very, very good campaign in 2014 against Jay Ashcroft. Um, she can raise money, but the question is, does she want to give up her seat to run for something that she may not yeah, win? Yeah, but even yeah, but is she in the second? I think she is. She is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I mean, she's right the, at the border. The line starts there at uh, Worson Road. Okay. Because I knew I knew it was close. Mm-hmm, very okay. close. I think yeah. we'll probably have to ask Senator Shoup directly. But my my more general point is, do you think that this is the time for that district to be competitive? I think this is the time for uh, us to select the best Democrat we can, because if we're ever going to have a chance to win that back, it's going to be next year. Because I think nationally, um, the Republicans are, are not going to do very well. Well, you don't know. I mean, as I said, we're talking now in May That's true. 2017, and mm-hmm. I've seen fortunes change. I remember 2009, um, after the 2008 wave with Obama, and a lot of people were elected. And I have to say, um, I was working at the Post-Dispatch then, and myself and another reporter were interviewing uh, Roy Blunt at that time. And he was going to go ahead and run for the Senate. But he admitted, I mean, he was open about mm-hmm. this, that he figured he was the underdog mm-hmm. because of the climate. Now, this is the spring of 2009. Okay. By the summer of 2010, forget about mm-hmm. it. He was, you know, he yeah. was going to win. But- the question was just by how much. And Robin Carnahan, who had been the early favorite, wasn't yeah. gonna but win. but it's kind of a different environment because 2016 was this bloodbath for Democrats in Missouri. So by that logic, 2018 
if, if you're using that same parallel, because 2008 was a terrible year for Republicans in Missouri, and then 2010 was a huge, was, was a huge, huge year. Wave. I mean, it's not just about Trump, too. Just traditionally, the president's party tends to do worse in midterm elections. There was some exceptions during the Bush administration, but that's, I think, the reason the second district is being brought into the but, fray here. But, but it depends, I think, a lot on— um, The candidate. The, well, the, the candidates, candidate but the also the issues— you know, and the and the environment and uh, kind of what's going on nationally or internationally. But the point is, there is that trickle down effect. So just keeping us focused on Missouri here and um, St. Louis County. I mean, hey, in 2018, we're going to have a county executive race. Oh, that's that's And wrong. that could affect things. Oh, you're right. You're yeah. absolutely right. I, I'm sure that from reading the news of what's happening in St. Louis County politics, you're glad to be on the state level for, for many respects. Exactly. I, I do want to play this one clip to kind of end the show. This is from Senate President Pro Tem Ron Richard and I uh, talking near the end of session. And this is about a one-minute clip of something that kind of took me off guard, and I've written a couple stories about it. It's about uh, Senator Richard's vision for the St. Louis region and how he thinks it should be radically different than where it is now. The county has all these municipalities and all these little bitty uh, uh, fiefdoms. That someday, guys like me for rural Missouri is going to say, enough's enough. You guys are out of money. Keep passing taxes. I think that's not in the best interest of Missourians, we're going to have to start merging municipalities, fire districts, police districts, public safety, merge county and city, sell Lambert Field, take that two or three billion dollars, do infrastructure in the city, but you got to protect it because St. Louis will probably figure out a way to spend the money on a bunch of umbrellas and stuff the way they have had a history of spending money in the past. So it was up to me. Is and there's a proposal that my last year up here, we're probably going to take a look at that. The uh, airport or merging St. Louis and St. Louis? All County? of it. All of it? All of it. Ooh. So I should probably be up here more next year. I don't know if I can get it done. I don't have a year. But if St. Louis wants to thrive, the population is going south. Mm -hmm. The education system city is going south. Their transportation airport is going south. I mean, and they continue doing the same things politically in the city that they've always done. I know that was a long clip, but I wanted to put it in context about why I've written about it a couple times. I mean, he seemed deadly serious. Huge news. I mean, you don't get enough credit for what a big deal that is to for to hear that. That's yeah. huge. Yeah, because Joe and I have both been covering this issue for a pretty long time. Joe longer than I because I'm in year 11, you're on your... 12 of your no, career. No, no, no. I'm here <laughs> actually like 40-something. Yeah. Ah. 40 so when the top Republican in the Senate, who is not aligned with Rex Singfeld, who wants to do all those things. Who's say, from what? Joplin? Joplin mm -hmm. says, we're going to make this a big priority. I don't know how I could not report. And I even told him afterwards, I'm like, this is going to make a lot of news in St. Louis, you know. He's like, well, you know, good, good, you know. How what's, is, what, what's your how reaction is this, to that? Well, first of all, he's although he's the head of the Senate, He's from Joplin. Yeah. How how does he think that any of this is his business? I mean, it, this is not a state issue. These are not state issues that he's talking about. But but they already have. I mean, there was a you know weighed in as far as the uh, St. Louis uh, minimum wage. Right. You know that's one oh, of the things yeah. that did come out Th of the that general party assembly. loves local control until they don't. Yeah. So and and um, there is. I mean, 
a push among some Republican legislators to have more special sessions. And one would be they want one on abortion. And one of the reasons is because of the ordinance change in the city of St. Louis uh, adding a women who choose abortion to the protected classes. Well, I want to kind of emphasize again why that's a big deal, because there is kind of a feeling among a lot of people that want to merge the city and the county in whatever way they want to do, because there's a lot of different ways to do it, that doing it just in the city and the county, would it would fail pretty much automatically because there's pretty substantial... Among the voters. Among the voters. So when Ron Richard talks about merging the city and county from a state perspective, what I glean from that is... the legislature is going to pass a ballot initiative that would take this question statewide, which would make it a lot easier to pass. I don't know if it would or not. No, I think it would. I think outstate. I don't know. No, I think I'd be interested. I'm interested in your take on that because I I, I talk to a lot of people about that. And, you know, the people that want to merge the city and county are all about taking it statewide. But, well, you they know, might know something that we don't know but, then. But, Maybe they've done some polling. But yeah. I, I just um, – I trust elected officials, you know, at, at all levels of government to, to be in the conversations and to do what's best. And I, I just don't see – you know, it used to be the Republican Party was the party of local control, and somewhere along the way we've switched around. Um, and I'm, I guess I, I'm not a Pollyanna kind of person, but I don't see – the city and St. Louis County as bad as Senator Richard seems to portray. I mean, I feel like, you know, we've got new companies coming in. Our schools are doing fine. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling hopeful, and I see, I see a lot of good things going on in this region. Plus, you represent several municipalities that are pretty large oh. and well-established, you know. And, I, and, you know, and like the cities that I represent, they have highly accredited police departments, for example, you know, and they're, they're doing things the right way. They're using taxpayer money responsibly and the the citizens are happy so you know this is a a huge issue i quite frankly still don't really know what he's motivated by what the senator is i want to just again for to be as much context my question to him was how do you think st louis fared this session and Mm -hmm. that was basically the response that i got which was even more surprising again i'm not saying it's a good or bad thing i'm just putting it out there for people to know but again, when Ron Richard, the president pro tem of the Senate, is talking about this, I think leaders in St. Louis should pay oh, attention for sure because it could come up next year. So that's my feeling on well, that. Well, and I, you know, I've I have always felt I I don't understand the hostility towards the St. Louis region from the Missouri legislature. I mean, without us, without the taxpayers supporting the state of Missouri from our region here, I I don't know the state would be in much worse off shape. Yeah. So going forward. Uh, looking ahead towards 2018, but also the, the the next session, assuming that there aren't two or three more special sessions in between, just kind of what, are you, what do you think are going to be the major issues for the General Assembly going forward? And, I mean, was is there serious talk that the governor is going to call well, at least Well, I'm hearing more? serious talk that the governor, you know, wants to have other special sessions. And I think part of it is, you know, it, it seems to be, he seems to have not left campaign mode. So I'm seeing this week, this special session felt like a political campaign to me. So if he wants to keep doing that, then we might see a few more of these parades. And they do cost roughly about 130000 a week. Yeah, it's, it's quite expensive. For and, the per diem. You know, there are people that have to come back into work that normally wouldn't be working during special sessions, like our door keepers, for example. So there are there are costs to this. And, you know, 
when you look at all the things that didn't get funded in the budget this year, that money could be so helpful to, say, a diaper bank that helps provide diapers to the poorest of the poor to make sure that babies um, have clean diapers when they're, you know, um, developing. So, you know, I'd lo- I would rather take this money that we're wasting on special session and use it for those that, that need services. We will see if there is any more money spent on special sessions in the next few weeks and months. But I just want to thank you for coming in for this tremendously insightful and entertaining show and i mean that sincerely for all of our stories stl public radio uh, dot org follow me on twitter at jay rosenbaum follow joe on twitter at jay manis that's j m a n n i e s and how would people follow you on twitter or anywhere else on the world wide well, web well i am on twitter at at tracy mccreary t r a c y m c c r e e r y and then i have a public figure facebook page as well check both of them out we'll be back next week until then so long Do what you feel like